0: Thank you so much for joining us in our new season of our Let's Talk podcast series. I'm Maria, the Prevention and Youth Engagement Coordinator at the National Runaway Safe Line. The National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS, is the federally supported national communication system for runaway and homeless youth in the United States, providing crisis support and resources to over 125,000 youth, families, and communities annually. Through this series, our hope is to elevate the voices of young people as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections that are witnessed by the 4.2 million young people experiencing homelessness across the United States each year. This episode marks the beginning of our second season and our first episode in the new year. In this season, we'll be interviewing organizations and service providers across the country, featuring the work they do every day to support vulnerable young people in their communities and the work they do to create a future without youth homelessness. Throughout January, we recognize Human Trafficking Awareness Month, led by Polaris, a data-driven social justice organization that combats sex and labor trafficking and houses the U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline. Today, I'm joined by Sophia Eftimadi from Polaris to learn more about Polaris' mission and how it aligns with the work that we do at the National Runaway Safeline. So without further ado, Sophia, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today?
1: My name is Sophia. obviously. Um, I am a case response specialist, and I've been on the uh, National Human Trafficking Hotline for almost four years now. Um, I started out as a hotline advocate, taking calls, responding to urgent needs, um, and now I'm more sort of behind the scenes, responding to complex cases as they come in. What do you like about your job? How did you get to this position, or like what led you to work at Polaris? I love the variety. I love that every day is different, um, and I love just kind of being there for for people in need and being able to um, kind of be in the weeds of things. Um, I got started doing a criminology degree and then just had a focus on human trafficking in my degree. And when a position at Polaris came available, I jumped at the opportunity and it's just kind of been history since then. (laughs) Can you help describe what human trafficking is
0: and why do we recognize Human Trafficking Awareness Month and how that came about?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you the definition to start with. US law defines trafficking as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into commercial sex acts or labor or services against his or her will. Now, the one exception involves minors and commercial sex. Under the federal definition, anyone um, under the age of 18 uh, into, um, forcing them into commercial sex is considered human trafficking regardless of the sort of presence of force, or fraud, for uh, coercion. So then that leads us to January, the National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, it was brought around uh, by way of a presidential proclamation in 2010. And it's a month dedicated to raising awareness about the issue and educating the public on what it looks like and how they can identify it. Um, once it became law in 2000, Creating awareness was sort of an urgent undertaking. People needed to know that the issue existed. Nowadays, uh, we focus more on like a deeper understanding of how trafficking really happens and who it happens to. Do you also do work with labor trafficking or just sex trafficking? So for both sex trafficking and labor trafficking, sort of at its core, um, it's about exploitation of existing vulnerabilities. So, statements like it can happen to anyone or it's happening in your backyard are super common in the anti-trafficking field and while technically true anyone can be identified as a you know they could be a tra- trafficked in any community um evidence sort of suggests the majority of trafficking victims identify as people of color indigenous communities immigrants and people who identify as lgbtq plus um so that in addition to that runaway and homeless youth is considered in the top five risk factors um, that allow for young people to be more vulnerable to experiencing trafficking. Um, so, you know, it's like, trafficking doesn't happen in a vacuum. It is the end result of persistent, current, and historical inequalities in our society and economy.
0: Is that something you'd be able to talk about a little bit more for, you know, provide more context
1: to that for a younger audience who might not know what that means? So. Young people who have a connection between um, sort of bigger risk factors like people born into poverty, discrimination, young people with unstable housing situations, you know, family dysfunction, a lot of those sort of big risk factors can play into a young person becoming a victim of trafficking. Um, and then, you know, runaway right and homeless youth as well, because they're already vulnerable. They're already susceptible to a lot of uh, different sort of crimes. That puts them in a really high risk position to become victims of trafficking, just by, you know, how vulnerable of a state that they might be in there. As we all know, uh,
0: housing instability is usually persistent and hard to break free from, especially when you're escaping cycles of poverty or you know, becoming independent as a minor, Um, and so could you give, like, specifics, uh, warning signs or red flags that they should be aware of in terms of trafficking or um, just things that they should be aware of if, you know, since they are in this
1: core demographic, you said, in one of the top five demographics for experiencing trafficking? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, traffickers are really, really good at identifying the victim's vulnerabilities um, and their needs so that they can exploit them. And that need might be something physical, like a safe place to stay or a meal or something less tangible like love or acceptance, you know, a family. Um, And this is going to look different from person to person. So some of the red flags that young people might see are um, someone who appears to be like newly showered with gifts, or money or, you know, otherwise become the object of some sort of overwhelming, fast moving romantic relationship, basically, someone trying to fill that gap that someone has in their life, really fast, really intensely, those are some of the red flags, Um, we can sometimes see that in like a asymmetric relationship, like a young person dating an older person or a wealthy person dating someone that is struggling financially, not saying that it's always the case, not at all. Um, but it's just something to kind of consider when there's just a massive discrepancy in, in fulfillment. Um, and then another red flag that kind of pertains to young people is um, being offered a job or opportunity that just kind of seems too good to be true. Um, a lot of these modeling jobs, you know, music jobs, promises of fame and fortune, a lot of the times online, those sort of things come up as red flags for us because oftentimes if it's the job is too, sounds good, too good to be true, it probably is. That's definitely a red flag to keep in mind. Prior to my work at
0: NRS, I was actually working at a domestic violence organization and something we would see a lot is traffickers being a boyfriend. Something that you mentioned that I think is important to maybe touch on a little bit more Mm -hmm. is the like the power dynamic and how like how asymmetrical power dynamics and relationships are a red flag or can be
1: a warning sign they're not always but that that can be a telltale sign yeah well I mean trafficking at its core is about power and vulnerability and we do see a lot of um, sort of romantic relationships where there is a discrepancy in the power dynamic become a red flag and I also kind of want to like touch on the sort of the influx of that sort of relationship happening especially during the pandemic so yeah just kind of touching on that increase of um, sort of love bombing and and intense relationships that we see um, a lot of the times targeted at young people usually over social media a lot of times on the hotline we see that that is a recruitment tactic is that people young people talk over social media and they find new people to talk to that way. Um, And while, you know, I don't have the sort of data here in front of me, uh, you can kind of ascertain that the vulnerabilities increased with the pandemic and those uh, that there were people um, ready to exploit new vulnerabilities brought on by the pandemic. So a lot of people took to the Internet to find companionship due to isolation. Um, or you know, people lost work and found themselves in a position where they might look for work, uh, find an opportunity that's too good to be true. Um, so the pandemic really brought out more vulnerabilities and put more people at risk to being trafficked, especially young people being online. Traffickers can also be people that
0: a young person knows, mm-hmm. um, or somebody within their family dynamic, or somebody that they already know. and might not be someone that they're meeting online. Is that something? that you would be able to talk
1: about a little bit? So first, let me just kind of touch on relationships um, between the traffickers and um, survivors. So what we frequently see through our work operating the trafficking hotline are stories of people being trafficked by intimate partners, family members, um, and others that they know and probably love and trust. Um, We see this through reports um, in especially in 2020 uh, situations where recruitment was known, we saw about a 47% increase in recruitment by family members and intimate partners. And that's both in sex and labor trafficking from like the previous year. Um, recruitment by family members and intimate partners was particularly pronounced in sex trafficking situations, um, both minors and adults. Um, and we even saw like a 42% increase um, of sex trafficking victims were brought into this situation for the first time by a family member. So a lot of the times those relationships are close to home. Those relationships are people they love and end up exploiting them.
0: What would you say is a good boundary or a good way for young people to examine these relationships that they have with somebody that they might be close to but might not be safe?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I mean first and foremost is to kind of be able to identify you know what's going on in the relationship and what's wrong. Um, You know a lot of people might think that this is normal, this is how it is in their family, this is how it is in their relationship. They might not be able to know anything's wrong until they get education that proves otherwise. So learning about trafficking is step one. Once you're able to kind of identify what trafficking is, you can kind of self reflect and see whether or not this is something that's, you know, happening in your life. And if you're a young person and that's happening, you know, reach out for help, reach out to someone that you feel comfortable with that's removed from the situation. Is there someone in your life that you can talk to? You can talk to the hotline, like there are a lot of resources out there for young people and adults to help self examine their life to kind of see what's safe and what isn't.
0: I, I think this is just like a natural flow to then ask, um, what resources are are available for victims and survivors of trafficking through the
1: National Trafficking Hotline, or what services does Polaris offer? So it really is dependent on the person's needs and their wishes. Um, we have connections to local service providers all across the country that can kind of help facilitate um, or address needs, depending on uh, what that person needs in the moment, whether that be shelter, you know, long term counseling, um, immigration services. It could be anything under the sun. And we will try to help make that connection to a service provider in that person's local area that can fulfill that need. Um, and then there's the other side of it, which is law enforcement. We can help make reports to law enforcement, um, for our contacts across the country. Again, um, a lot of the time people feel more comfortable reporting to a hotline rather than calling 911. Um, so we kind of act as that middle person between law enforcement and, uh, someone calling in. Um, and there are some, some sort of nuances with that, like, if we get a call for a minor engaging in commercial sex um, we you know that's something we do need to report to our law enforcement contacts because we are mandated reporters but we do so in the most victim-centered you know person-centered way possible to make sure that it is known that like we are on that person's side we are here to help we are here to help get you to a safe location so it kind of really depends on what the need is at the time um, and you know where that person is in their life
0: Thank you. That was a wonderful answer.
1: Um, is
0: there any like I? I think you touched on it in terms of like if they're a minor, then the need to report being a mandated reporter. But are there any youth specific services or youth specific, like if a fifteen year old was to call in, mm-hmm. um, would that call be handled any differently than if somebody who is in their twenties would call?
1: Well. That 15-year-old calling in can give as much or as little information as they want. We can talk about things hypothetically, we can talk about their specific situation. So we will, you know, have to report it if we get the reportable information for the 15-year-old, or we can just have a conversation. Um, For the adult, we would need a little bit more of an understanding of what that person's needs and wishes are before we even think about a report to law enforcement. Um, unless it's, you know, an urgent high risk, you know, potentially lethal situation. But if we're just talking to an adult who, you know, over the age of 18, potentially experienced some trafficking, is just kind of wondering what's out there, we can just have a conversation, we don't need to report until they're ready. Um, We can just lay out what options exist in their area. Um, And if they want to leave that area, we can talk about what relocation looks like, you know, there's, A lot of different conversations that we can have um, before it becomes sort of a serious reporting, you know, working with law enforcement experience for that person. Because not everybody wants that. A lot of people, yeah. A lot of people just want to move on or, you know, find a safe place and heal for a while before they even think about talking to law enforcement. And we'll help facilitate that.
0: That's wonderful. And I think that's. You know very similar to what NRS does in terms of like when all, we have minor callers and mm-hmm. if we have reportable information um all of our callers are, are all of the people in our call center are mandated reporters obviously mm-hmm. um I think all NRS staff are but it's if we have the reportable information that we do we are compelled to make that report but there's the opportunity to talk about things in hypotheticals and or if we don't have or the name isn't given then we can't you know pursue that um i think also working with young people in this job and like throughout my career is like noticing that not everybody is excited to work with law enforcement or might have fears about working with uh like the legal system um and because uh they're afraid of being prosecuted themselves
1: yeah and we understand that like we want to be person-centered we want to be able to kind of do what that person wants because at the end of the day like they know their situation best they know they might not want to sit through a trial and be re-traumatized and we're not going to force anyone to do that if that's not what they're hoping to get out of their healing so we try to honor what they need and so I uh, wanted to ask where do you see
0: a connection between your work at Polaris and then the work that we do at NRS is like the National Communication Center for Homeless and Runaway Youth and your work as the National Human trafficking Hotline?
1: So, as I sort of mentioned before, like the systematic issues um, are kind of the same, uh, and I think they they fall both within the scope of something that we uh, work on and you. So things like people experiencing poverty, Homophobia, racism, um, all these things make people vulnerable to trafficking, and I think it also contributes to to youth runaway incidents and homelessness. So there's definitely an overlap there, and we're probably serving the same people in that regard.
0: In the curriculum that we have, we we make an effort to educate young people about warning signs of trafficking and helping identifying if they're in an asymmetrical relationship or what healthy relationships look like, which I think is like Really, a foundational level of this work. I mean, it's just like knowing what a healthy relationship is and identifying if you like your relationships are healthy and what healthy boundaries are.
1: So, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Um, and we also sort of like use what we learn on the hotline um, to want to also say that, like, to just raise awareness and get like a greater understanding of the issue um, that acts towards prevention. And I think that's also similar to, to what you guys might do as well, is, is continued education. So people know what they're they're able to do and, and how to avoid being at risk for things.
0: Can you speak to the National Survivor Study and what important findings
1: came out of this research? Yeah. So survivors of sex and labor trafficking are really the true experts in the anti-trafficking field. The National Survivor Study is a research project developed in full partnership with survivors of trafficking, sort of gain insights um, that we can use to push for real and impactful change. Um, The premise behind the the National Survivor Study is that you cannot change what you do not truly understand. Um, And you can't truly understand trafficking through studies that treat survivors solely as research subjects. So, work with survivors um, as true partners in every step along the way from research to design to recruitment data collection and analysis so similar to how the national runaway safe line relies on perspectives of youth to push forward your work Polaris has always tried to incorporate survivor perspectives in our work um, and their survivor study is just sort of another iteration of this work
0: that's so exciting When will the survivor study become published?
1: The study is going to come out later this year, um, sometime in 2022. And, you know, we're always looking for more survivors to be part of this kind of study.
0: One last question, unless there's anything else you guys want to plug or talk about. um, And that's just what is one thing you want our listeners to take away from this episode?
1: One thing I want listeners to take away from this episode is that help is out there and there are people who care about you out there. That the hotline is 24-7 and we really are, you know, a group of people who care about this health and safety of people in trafficking situations. So the hotline has over a hundred languages that we can connect with. We use a translation service. So at any time of the day or night, you can call us as long as you sort of identify what language you're looking to to, um, speak with and we'll connect to a translation service so we'll be able to talk to you in any language. Um, It's actually a really great and useful service. We get people um, with all different language uh, needs across the country and it's really helpful to be able to kind of talk to people in their most comfortable mother language um, when, when they need it. Just to touch on um, sort of a greater understanding of trafficking, not just recognizing that it exists, but to really deeply understanding the the ins and outs of it. I think it's very important to dispel myths that come up so often uh, in the narrative of human trafficking. We get on the hotline um, this idea that trafficking is started through kidnapping or you know, someone is tricked into going abroad, you know, we're finding that that's not the case at all. And that's kind of a more of a common misconception on how human trafficking happens. Trafficking is rarely perpetrated by a total stranger who kidnaps adults or children. Most of the time, human traffickers use psychological means such as tricking, defrauding, manipulating, or threatening victims into providing commercial sex or um, labor. Um, and like I talked about earlier, a lot of these times, um, the traffickers are people close to home— their family members, their intimate partners, their coworkers, their people that they know in their everyday life. So addressing these sort of misconceptions in the trafficking field are very important because it really it harms um, the victims and survivors that are experiencing trafficking. You know, if everyone's looking for a white van. No one's looking for the person who is in an abusive relationship, forced into trafficking. You know, so these sort of myths are actually very harmful in the trafficking field. Um, It's something that we should work to educate um, ourselves and our, you know, our community members about. So we want people to work towards a deeper, deeper understanding of what trafficking is, how it happens, who it happens to, and what we can do. To prevent it. One way we're encouraging people to do this is by taking our interactive online human trafficking 101 training course and sharing it with their networks. Um, The training is made up of six modules. It includes brief quizzes along with videos of survivors sharing their experiences. Um, And then at the end, they can get a certificate to kind of confirm that they have an understanding, a basic understanding of trafficking in the real world.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Sophia, and thank you to everyone who has been committed to learning more of this Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and of course, thank you to everyone who has joined us today for our first episode in our second season of the Let's Talk podcast series. As always, I'm Maria, and let's talk soon.